Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Can you believe the summer's almost over? <laughs> all the teachers and all the students say, no. Well, if you're just joining us, we are going through the book of Malachi. We have one more week. This is our third week in the book of Malachi. So this morning, let's just get right into our recap, into our review this morning. We learned, we dealt with their ministry, Israel's ministry in Malachi 1. They were not pleasing to God. They were apathetic in their worship. They were not giving God their best. You remember, they were offering sacrifices that were sick and injured and blind, and that's not what was commanded in the na- for the nation of Israel in the Mosaic law. They violated the law of Moses. Well, last week we talked about their marriages. We talked about their marriages. They were defying God's plan for marriage. One woman, one man for life. And they were violating the law, saying not to marry the other inhabitants' wives, the pagan wives. They They were despising the wives of their youth. And God was not happy with them. Well, today we're going to talk about another fun subject, the area of giving, tithing. Pastors always shy away from that because we don't want to look like we are twisting arms and trying to squeeze money out of people. And Faith Bible Church has never been that way. So as we start off this morning, I thought about a few stories I'd like us to look at this morning. It's like the old man who was coming home from church with his family, and they were driving home, and afterwards he was complaining about everything. He says, the music was too loud, the sermon was too long, the announcements were unclear, the building was too hot, the people were unfriendly, And we know how that goes. He went on and on. Virtually everything. His son, being very observant, says, Well, Dad, you have to admit, it wasn't wasn't a bad show for just a dollar. All right? Or the farmer who called the office to ask for the minister. He asked, "Is Is the head hog at the trough there? The receptionist says, Sir, if you're talking about our beloved minister, you may call him reverend, or pastor, but I don't think it would be proper to refer him as the head hog at the trough. Well, all right, the farmer says, I I just sold a few sow and was just going to donate $10,000 to the building fund. So I was just hoping to catch up with him. Oh, just wait a minute, sir, the receptionist says. I think I heard little porker come in. (laughs) So when it comes to money, we change our tune in these areas. So let's look at Malachi chapter 3. We're going to read verses 6, six through 12. Again, we are looking at their tithes and their offering. Remember, Israel is not at a good place. You would think the last book of the Old Testament going into that 400 years of silence, you would think that Israel was at its peak, the things that they learned, but they are not. They are in a very, very bad place spiritually. Verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from me my stat- for my statues and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Well, God responds, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I want you to underline that no more need. 
I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. In context, in this passage of Scripture, Israel was not bringing the full tenth, their offering to God, as was commanded by Moses. We can read that in Leviticus chapter 6. So the Lord is challenging them. Listen, Israel, bring your tenth. That's what tithe means in Hebrew. It means tenth. You bring your tenth to me. And guess what? I will meet your need. You will have no more need. Well, Israel was, the tithing system in Israel was a little different. And let me just go through some of the things that they gave. So there were two annual tithes that they gave, plus one tithe every third year. Plus, if you remember, they, were not, they had to keep the edges of their field from being gleaned, from being picked. If you remember the book of Ruth, that's how Ruth met Boaz. Boaz kept the fields intact on the edges for, for foreigners, for the poor. So the nation of Israel, they left that for other people to use. And that was their, kind of their giving back to God. So the nation at this time, during Malachi, they were shortchanging God. God was saying, listen, put me to the test. I will prove to you that I will meet your need. Look at verse 10. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse. Now, the word storehouse there in the Hebrew, is really, it was a room. It was a, a building. It was a room in the building in the temple that they would keep the grain that was given for offering. And thereby put me to the test. God says, I want, I want to prove myself to you says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, in Christian circles in, in, in our country, many preachers, prosperity gospel teachers will take this verse out of context saying, listen, if you give to God, God will give you tens and millions and thousands. That's not what the text is saying here. In fact, I was at a church once. I used to play and sing in a band, and we would go around and play different churches, different conferences and things. We were at this church, and they were taking an offering for the pastor for a birthday gift, okay? And so what they called the offering, and they put baskets on the communion table. The de there's deaconesses that came behind the table with calculators. I'm like, wow, this is going to be interesting. And they said, okay, starting with you, let's go. Make a single file. Let's put our money in the offering plates. So Judy and I were sitting front and center with the band, and I'm like, do you have any money? Like, I have nothing in my, I don't have any cash. Went through the whole church, showed the amount to the pastor. Nope, that's not good enough. Let's go again. Let's go. Here we go. And they got enough money, not from me, but they got enough money. If we would do that, I don't know how many of you would attend here, because that is not what giving is. But many times we, when we say pastors, we talk about giving. It's, it's a bad taste in people's mouth because of many prosperity teachers that just try to squeeze people into giving money and trying to make them feel bad. And that's not the purpose of today's message. Going back to Malachi chapter 3, historians and theologians believe that during this time in the nation of Israel, they had a particular attitude. And if we read that text... There was a devourer. Well, the devourer was a pestilence. It was a disease that was taking care of the crops that God could take care of. But because they had this attitude, listen, I got my needs to met here. My harvest isn't going well. So God, this is all I can afford to give you at this time. Well, if we're honest with each other, don't we as Christians do the same thing today with God? 
You know, God, I have, I have to take care of this. You know what? I'll give you five bucks, and that's, that's my offering to you because I got my needs here I have to meet. And what did God tell the nation of Israel? Listen, if you give to me your tithe, I will open the storehouse to heaven, and I will meet your need till you will have no more. So that is what is happening here with Israel. They are shortchanging God. They are robbing God of the command of the tithe that they were supposed to give. So for the remainder of our time this morning, I want us to, we're going to flip to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at a New Testament model of giving, particularly the church of Philippi. So keep in mind of what, what, Mal, what, what the Israelites in Malachi's time are doing. They're robbing God, they're shortchanging God. But we're going to end up in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at a giving, a generous church. And we're going to see how this applies to us today as a New Testament church. But the first thing I think we have to understand, you have to ask yourself this question. What is your biblical worldview of giving? What is your biblical worldview of giving? You might say, I never was asked that before, but here's what it is. It should be. Everything God gives us is from him, and he allows us to use it. Will we agree with that? Everything God gives us is from him, and he allows us to use it. Your job, God allowed you to have a job. He gave you that job. The money you make from that job, that's his, right? He allows you to spend it and use it. You see, when we look at giving to God in the right way, I think we need to look at, there's two ways we can look at our giving. One, it's an expression of our worship. And we came in this morning, we fellowship, we sang, we prayed, we're hearing God's word. But the other part of worship is our giving. Think of the individuals in the Old Testament and the New Testament. When they come and they would give their tithe. That was part of their worship. They made a trek to the temple to give their tithes and offerings. It was expression of their worship to God. The other thing that I think it helps us do, it conditions us not to be greedy. We have a generous heart and we give. We tend to be more giving. Because we understand the things that we have are not ours, right? There's, they're God's, and he's allowing us, we're being good stewards of those things. I love what Corey Ten Boom says this. I, would ha- I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, I still possess. What did God tell his followers? What did Jesus tell his followers in the Gospels? That we are to store treasures in heaven, not here on earth where moth and dust corrupts. See, all we have comes from God. And when we truly understand it, or until we truly understand that, I believe we will struggle in our giving to God. Because we still think that the thing, the, the paycheck that we get from God, it's mine. I earned it, it's mine but it's God's because God gave it to me. Some fun facts about money in the Bible. There's 29 parables in the gospel. 16 of those parables deal with a person and their money. There's over 500 verses dealing with prayer, just under 500 dealing with faith. However, there is over 2,000 verses between the Old and New Testament dealing with money and the dealing of money. It's estimated that Jesus spoke more of money than he did with heaven and hell combined. Why? Because he knew what kind of temptation and issues people had with money. He told his followers in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says this, For where your treasure is, there where your, there's where your heart will be also. I heard a pastor say this once, Take a tour of your checkbook and you'll see where your heart is. Take a tour of your checkbook 
and see where your heart is. See, we can say, no, I give to God. No, I, I, I help people. Show me your checkbook. Take a tour of your checkbook and you'll see where your heart is. I like looking at the different polls and particular things of the church. So I looked at a Gallup poll here dealing with giving this morning. And it really was an eye-opener. It says that 70% of people that give in church, that go to church, regular attender, attending Christians that go to church, 17% people say they give. 17, not 70, 17 give. But only 3 of the 17% actually give. Okay? 40% individuals interviewed says they don't give anything to God. 91% of Christians in the church, they say they make more money now than they have in, their, in, in, in other parts of their life, in the parts of their history of work history. And which gives us to believe as pastors, and I would agree with this, 71% of pastors believe that we have changed from being people of steward, stewarding God's money, being good stewards of God's money, to being consumers. And we live in that, we live in that mentality. We become consumers. Well, how does this affect, how does it affect me? I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the last part of the Christian life that gets sanctified is their pocketbook. The last part of a Christian's life that gets sanctified is their pocketbook. So as we think of giving this morning, I think many times we have the attitude like the nation of Israel has. Listen, I have my needs, needs here, God, I need to meet. You're not really helping me out here, so listen, this is all I can give to you. Listen, giving in the church is not an approval um, for ministry. So what I mean by that is you don't come in the church as like a, an entertainment venue. Hey, man, Eric, the worship was slamming today. It was great. Jason, your message was perfect. You know, the children's ministry was on point. This is, you know, I'm going I'm to give a little something, something extra for the offering plate because everything was good. That's not tithing. That's not giving. Or on the other swing, of the, of the other side of the pendulum where you didn't like church. Pastor Jason, you did a horrible job today. I am not giving my tithe. Eric, the music was horrible today. I'm not giving my tithe. You know what? It was just bad overall. People weren't friendly. I'm not giving my money. That is not tithing. That is not tithing. We do not give our tithes and our offerings based on how we feel or what we've experienced at church. We give because who God is what he has done for us, and what he has given us, and we are just giving back to him. That is all. You can have a bad experience in church. Don't shortchange God because of that. That's not giving. So let's take a peek into this church of Philippi. Philippians chapter 4. Why was Paul so impressed with this church? What did he say about this church? What we see here, this is possibly, look at verse 16. We're going to read through the whole text, but this is possibly the, this is the second and possibly the third gift that this church of Philippi, which we'll find out was a poor church, gave to Paul for continued ministry. Verse 16 says this, Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. This church was a generous, giving church. In Faith Bible Church, you are, we are a very generous church. It's commendable to you through the years. So just to set us up here, what is happening in Philippians, Paul is in jail. He is in jail in Rome. He is 800 miles away from Philippi. The church of Philippi sends Epaphrodites with a gift to visit Paul 800 miles away in prison. As I said before, Philippi was not a wealthy church. They had their struggles, and we'll read that later on in the message in 2 Corinthians as Paul explains their giving. But the Philippi church the Philippian church is the model 
forgiving in the New Testament. They were a generous, giving church. And they were in extreme poverty. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, let's start reading at verse 10. We're going to read 10 through 20. We're going to go through this account that Paul is talking. He's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. Just so you know, I'm going to just say this up. If I happen to say Philippines instead of Philippians, just, just go with me. I look at that. I've, I've made that mistake many times before. Philippines, Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now a length you have received, revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. This is what Paul is saying. Again, Paul is sitting in prison right now. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. I want you to underline that verse. We're going to come back, circle that word share. As you... Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into par partnership, circle the word partnership, with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and am well supplied. Having received Epaphrodites, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. I believe there are three insights we can take from this text in Philippians chapter 4. And the first thing we learn about giving, particularly the church of Philippi, is they gave generously. Give generously, as we'll see that point here. Look at verse 14, Philippians 4, 14. Yet it was kind to, of you to share my trouble. Are you a generous giver? Think about your offering to God. Are we worried more about fitting that 10%? And understand this, the tithe, the 10% was an Old Testament mandate. It was a command by the law, by the law of Moses. It's not a New Testament command. However, it's a principle in which we follow. It's a great springboard for us to start as we give. But are we generous givers? I, I love what Chaplain Peter Marshall said. He was the chaplain for the U.S. Senate for some time. He says this, Give according to your income, lest God bases your income on your giving. Let me say that again. Give according to your income, lest God bases your income on your giving. I thought that was really interesting. See, Having money is not sin. It is not evil. Look what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. He says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. People with money love money. People without money love money. And they'll do whatever it takes to get or keep that money. However, loving it and being consumed by it is where it becomes evil. And it runs every aspect of our life. Example of men in the Bible who were wealthy. Abraham was a wealthy man. It tells us in Scripture that he had 318 servants. They actually were trained militia for Abraham. When you have your own little army, you have some money somewhere, right? 
Well, you, you, you think of Job, land, buildings, flocks. Of course, we understand the story. God allowed Satan to take those things from him. But what do we read at the end of Job? God, what? Doubled what he had. Job was a wealthy man. Of course, the last individual we think of is Joseph. Joseph was the, is the rags to riches story where at the end of his life, he was second in command of Egypt. He had his fingertips in the bank of Egypt. He could do whatever he wanted. But these were godly men who were wealthy, but they were wise in their giving to God and to people. See, the church at Philippi was interested only in one thing, giving to God's work. Paul is in jail. What can a guy do in jail? Uh, It's the apostle Paul. Remember, we're going to learn here at the end of our time together, he was chained to a Roman guard at six-hour shifts, 24-7. Those guys got witness to a lot. How about you? When you give to God, does this idea of supporting ministry, outreach, helping the poor, understanding that we're partners in ministry and our giving? I think there's two things. We think about giving generously. We go from just being people and members of a church, but we also need to think about we become partners in ministry. If you go back to the, 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 the monitor in the foyer, you see our missionaries scrolling through. All the individuals that we support and the ministries here locally that we support. Do you know that you're giving? We are partners with them. Do you know the individuals that come to Jesus in Africa and Israel and the Philippines and and Germany that we support, we're partners with. So our generous giving brings us, we're just just not people, but we're partners in ministry. Look what he says there in verse 14 and 15. Yet it was kind of you to share, that word there in the Greek means to partner or to be interested in, my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. That word there is fellowship or participation with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So we have to understand in ministry when we give, some of us, we go, some of us are senders, but we all are what? We are all partners in the advancement of the gospel. And so our giving, we may never set foot out of Violin, New Jersey, but when we give to the local church, guess what? We're partners with people across the globe. I love what John was encouraging the man by the name of Gaius in 3 John 8 says this, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for truth. Gaius was known for helping these traveling preachers that would come in town and he would bring them and feed them and give them a gift to take with them, with them as they continued in their ministry of sharing the gospel. And what did, what did John say? Listen, that we may be fellow workers, that we may be partners with them as they share Christ. See, not only we go from people to partners in our generous giving, but guess what? Giving, it pleases God. It pleases God. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. And I want you to underline this next phrase. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, this is temple language here. This is temple verbiage. Paul is giving us a sense here of what temple worship smelled like and was like. Now, in, in, in the New Testament times, when they come to the temple, you have this smell. What was the smell? Well, if we walked into temple worship at that time, it would smell like a barbecue. 
they were, they were offering sacrificing animals. You were smelling cooked animals. You were smelling that, that would be an aroma. Also, incense. The temple, you would burn incense. And so when people would come, there was a certain smell. Do you guys ever go to a place where you're like, man, that smell reminds me. I went to preach at a church that I grew up at over in vacation in Lancaster. I was taking Mariah around because it was a Christian school that I went to growing up. And I opened up the side door going upstairs to the Christian school. I closed my eyes and it was 1985 all over again. You ever walk into those situations like, man, it brings back. When you came into temple worship, there was this smell. And Paul says here to the church of Philippi, a fragrant offering. You're giving a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So what I believe Paul is saying here, he says, Philippi, your generous giving, your partnership is like the smell and sacrifice to God. This offering. Brothers and sisters, this should be our highest motivation. Church, giving will cost us something. True sacrifice always does that in our life. Look what King David said in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. He says this, But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David wanted to give some, a sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to just give the Lord freely. I want it to be a sacrifice. So ask yourself this question. Are you a generous giver? Do you consider yourself a partner as you give in ministry? And as you give, is our desire to please God? Is our desire that our giving does cost us something? Are we like the nation of Israel, Malachi 3, where we're holding on to this because I've got to pay bills. I know I have three or four car payments. I've got all my toys. God, I'm going to give you this because I know you're just not taking care of my need. Or do we give that to God and let God meet our need? Not only should we be generous givers, but number two is giving is rewarding. Giving is rewarding. Look what he says in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, understand this. We've got to take verses in context. This verse is probably the most taken out of context verse in the Bible. This is not a blanket statement. In context here, Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, listen, because of your generous giving, because you gave, because you're partners with me, guess what? My God's going to supply your needs. My God's going to supply your needs. Isn't that what he was telling the Israelites in Malachi 3? Listen, if you put your tenth of tithe in the storehouse, I will open the storehouses of heaven, and you will have what? No more need. Have you ever experienced this in your life? I'm, I'm going to share just a, a, maybe two personal stories, and we have some time this morning, of growing up in a family that my parents were faithful. My parents were prayer warriors. They lived on faith. I grew up very poor. My dad went to seminary. He sold our house, went to seminary, put us, my brother and I, in Christian school. He paid his seminary bill. I remember opening the refrigerator at times. There was just a jug of water in there. I always called my mom the MacGyver of the kitchen. We always had something to eat. She whipped something up. I don't know what it was. I ate it. Tasted good. I remember one particular incident where I was in the back of the car with my brother. We're going to church. And my mom and dad were having this little bit of an argument or disagreement, we'll call it. My mom was like, listen, we can't give to the church today. You haven't been paid in a couple weeks. I need to buy groceries for the kid. We got, we got to take care of our needs. My dad's like, listen, I haven't tied in two weeks. We got to give something to God. And I found out later there was $75 in my parents' checkbook. And my dad's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to give. Well, my dad wrote a check for 75 bucks. 
Bless my mom was not a happy camper. So after church that morning, a man, a businessman of the church who would take care of seminary students, particularly married seminary students, came and gave my dad a check. And he says, hey, listen, Dale, this is for you and your family. You use it however you see fit. So I put it in his pocket, went home. I go home, we're getting changed, and my mom's in the kitchen just crying. Guess how much the check was for? 75 bucks. My God will supply your needs. When you give your first fruits, God will take care of your needs. In that same time in my life in elementary school, we housed two seminary students in our upstairs part of the apartment. And money was tight, food, you know, my mom made, did what she could do. And these two seminary students, I love, they used to babysit my brother and I. Of course, two college guys with two young boys at home. Oh, we did so much fun stuff. Stuff my mom still does not know we did today. As long as the house was intact, we got home, we were good. And so I remember going to bed. We didn't really eat much. We didn't have much to eat. Well, these two guys worked security at a local mall. It was 11.30 at night. My dad came home from work. I heard laughing and talking. And my dad comes, hey, Jason, Brent, let's go. We're going to want to eat. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's 11.30 at night. These guys brought back from the mall garbage bags of McDonald's food that they were going to throw out. You're nine years old? Man, chicken nuggets? Absolutely. At 11.30 at night? Yes, sir. My mom was stashing that stuff in the freezer. She was storing stuff. My God will supply your need. He'll take care of you when you give to God. And that's just something, a little story we always share because God sometimes goes above and beyond when we give him our best and we give him our first fruits. I, I love what he said about, Paul said about the church of Philippi, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, the churches of Macedonia include three churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Okay, so Philippi is considered here in this text. Verse 2, for in severe test of affliction, Okay, this is what these churches are going through. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. I want you to get this. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. The church of Philippi was a generous giving church. So brothers and sisters, as we give, give generously Understand that giving is a reward. God rewards those who give faithfully. And lastly, it's a point that we probably don't think about. When I say the point, you're going to say, well, I don't get it, but you will by the end. Third point is this. When we give, we extend our family. We extend our family. Say, okay, wait a minute. Where are you going with this? I want you to go to Philippians 4, 21 and 22. This is the part of, 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 of Paul's epistles that I bypass. Okay, final greeting. I heard enough of Paul. I'm closing my Bible. I'm done. I got the most important part, right? But it's very, very important what we see here. Let's read it together. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling this church. The brothers who are with me greet you. Now it gives us an idea that perhaps most likely they were prisoners that were coming to faith in Christ. All the saints greet you. Now underline this. This is huge, especially those of Caesar's household. They say, why is that so important? Well, understand this. Philippi was a colony of Rome. Rome ruled the world at the time. Okay, in this time of history, Rome ruled the world. 
So when you would mention Rome or Caesar or taxes in a household, you know, if I wanted to start some kind of uh, fight this morning, I would talk about politics in this room. And he's like, listen, I don't want to talk about it. It gives us a bad taste in our mouth. Well, when you would mention Rome or Caesar or taxes in any co- colony of Rome or colony of uh, Philippi or Macedonia, you know what? Let's not, let's just, I don't want to even talk about those people. Paul says that how, even the household of Caesar greets you. They were coming to faith in Christ. That household does not mean the household we understand the Greek. It had actually is believed that it talked about Caesar's military guard. His employees were the ones that were coming to faith. Now remember what I said. Paul was chained to a Roman guard six-hour shifts, 24-7. A guy who loved Jesus, a guy who talked about Jesus, a guy who shared Jesus. I mean... You have to imagine those guards like, okay, I need, I need a, a five-minute coffee break. Just get me away from this guy for five minutes, please. All he talks about is Jesus. And here we see Epaphrodites coming, giving Paul a gift. So they're there talking about Jesus and what God is doing in Asia Minor. Can you imagine these guards? Probably sick and tired of it, but Paul says, listen, even those of Caesar's household are coming to faith. Paul is telling them, listen, because of your generous gift, because you're partners with me in the gospel, guess what? The reward is we're seeing the unreachable be reachable. We're extending our spiritual family because of your giving. Do we think about that when we give our tithes and our offerings to the church? Do we think about our missionaries and and what they're accomplishing in other other parts of the world? We're partners with that. It's important to understand. We are extending our family when we give. People are coming to Christ. The household of Caesar, Philippi, they're getting saved. Your gift is amazingly being used. The unreachable are being reached. Brothers and sisters, I think we need to take giving a little different in our minds. I don't want us to, I don't want to twist your arm. I'm not here to squeeze it out. Yeah, that's, that's, we've never done that. We have maybe two or three messages in a year of giving, but it's important that we talk about it because sometimes we've got to get recalibrated on why and what we give to God and look at examples in Scripture. So as we close this morning, we see God was not happy with Israelites in Malachi 3. They were shortchanging God. We were, they were robbing God. Brothers and sisters, there's many Christians in churches today that are robbing God. You just are. We are. It, it just is what it is. I just speak the truth. You have to evaluate yourself. I'm not going to twist your arm to give. Your pastors don't know what you give. We don't know. But if you don't give to God, you're robbing God. I'm sorry. I didn't say it. God did. Give to God. See, Paul was reminding the church of Philippi the same thing. Listen, because you gave, guess what? God will meet your needs. Just like he told Israel, listen, if you give, I will take care of your crops. I will meet those needs. You will have no more need. Church, let's not hold on to our monies trying to take care of our problems because guess what? We have a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Our God can take care of giving us McDonald's cheeseburgers for supper. Right? He can take care of that $75 in your bank accounts. When you put your faith and trust in him, you say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I know you're going to meet my need. Okay, I said need. We don't want to get up into the prosperity thing. Pastor Jason, if you do, no, I'm not talking. You're going to get houses and lands and cars. Can he do that? Yes, he can. But that's not the context here. Our need. 
I'm going to close with this illustration and we'll be done this morning. What kind of giver are you? I'm going to give you three illustrations. Are you a flint? Are you a sponge? Or are you a honeycomb? See, to get anything out of the flint, you need a hammer. And you pound that flint, get, and with two things you get, you get sparks and chips. That's all you get out of a piece of flint. A sponge, what do you do with a sponge to get water out of it? Well, you have to squeeze it really hard. But a honeycomb, it just flows out freely. The sweetness just flows out. What kind of giver are you? Are you a flint? Or you just kind of, you know, you just listen, okay, yeah, listen, I'm tired of being here in these messages. I'll just give what I can give you. Here you go. That's it. I'm done. Or are you that we had to be squeezed to give to God? Understanding all the things God has done for you, who God is, and God has given you the very money in which you have. So who are you? A flint, a sponge? or honeycomb, where generosity just pours out in your giving, not just to God, but giving to people in need. You need to answer that question this week as you think about our giving and how we are giving to God. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to put baskets up here. And No, just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, just pray, Father. It's a, it's a tough subject to talk about because we... We, we know people give here at Faith Bible Church, but maybe some of us need to be reminded of being generous givers, that the things that we have come from God, and that as we've seen in Malachi 3, we've seen in Philippians chapter 4, if we give our tithes, if we give our first fruits, if we honor God in our giving, God will meet our need. So Lord, help us as we recalibrate in our lives our giving and what that needs to look like from here on out. We love you. We thank you for giving us the things that we have. Thank you for giving us a church and that we do have faithful givers here. We're so grateful for their generous giving. Continue to help us use that money wisely as we seek, as Paul was ministering and seeing people come to Christ. That is our focus on our ministries, that through our monies that we are given to us, that we see ministries being supported that have the focus of Jesus Christ. We love you. Give us a great day. We ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up together. Oh, Lord.